Hello, I'm Shell of Lionheart's Fitness. If you don't know about us by now, please check out our website, lionheartsfitness.com. Free fitness for all youth, particularly obstacle course racing. Right now, here is your podcast, I Am Spartan Podcast, with our favorite host, Scott Knowles. Enjoy. I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. Have you checked out the show's sponsor yet? Do me a huge favor and go and check out monkeygrip.com. They make these cool rope attachments that go around your pull-up bar, and they also go around dumbbells, too. So you can max out your pull-ups and then slip them off of the pull-up bar and put them on the dumbbells and do farmer's carries to max out your grip even further. They also make a monkey fist type attachment that goes around the pull-up bar and the dumbbells the same way. They also have some liquid chalk and who doesn't need a little extra liquid chalk in their life? But go and check them out at monkeygrip.com and follow them on Monkey Grip on Instagram too. Thanks. On this interview, L. Jones tells us about completing the Moab 240. The Moab 240 is a 240-plus mile race with 31,000-plus feet of gain and has a 116-hour cutoff. She finished this race in 88 and a half hours and some change and placed third in females and 15th overall. It's an amazing story, and I think it's an amazing result for it being her first attempt. But anyway, here's the interview with L. Jones. L. Jones, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Have you ever been interviewed on a podcast before? Um, actually, a couple times. Um, actually, my first one was last weekend. I did like a Moab recap on a podcast last weekend. So. Yeah. So somebody beat me to the beat me to the so, punch then. Someone beat you to the punch. That's okay. I'm happy so, to do that. Elle, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you're an amazing runner, apparently, and you you live in Utah. You're what, 35, 36, right? Yeah, 35. Mm-hmm. So what do you do for like like what's your work? Like what do you do for work? Yeah, I'll give you a kind of a recap of everything. So I work for a digital media company and I just work project management stuff for their, um, yeah, their digital content. Um, So it's all remote. My company's based in New York. So I work completely remote, which is nice for a lot of reasons. Um, I started trail running a few years ago like maybe. just a few years ago you started trail running <laughs> yeah like yeah, i feel like maybe four ish years wow. ago something like that i mean i did road running before right um, but yeah trail running was pretty recent and then ultra running i ran my first ultra distance in 2020 so not too long ago Right. And then, so what was like your background in like sports is like growing up? Like not at all, <laughs> which is kind of funny for me to think about now. No, um, super nerdy. Definitely more of like a bookworm 
lots of writing, things like that. Was not athletic or didn't think I was athletic. Maybe. So were you like Star Wars nerdy or Harry no, Potter nerdy? Uh, I don't know. Are those the only two options? <laughs> Lord of the Rings. I mean, <laughs> probably more like Harry Potter nerdy. Like I, I felt like I just read a lot as a kid. Grow. I don't know. Like I was definitely more that type of human. And then I mean, I was athletic in the sense that like I would work out and things like that as a teenager and in my twenties. But I started running not really until like mid twenties. So. And then it was like kind of a progression and yeah. So I don't know, kind of new to me too. And my first, like, I mean, even as far as my first hundred miler was last year. So even this side of the ultra distance is very new. So I haven't done too many of these, but I really like them. And I'm always excited to like see what else I can do. So yeah, because I was looking like through like results and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I don't, I haven't found like a bunch of ultra races that you've done. And I'm thinking like this yeah. shit right here is amazing. If she just ran <laughs> Moab and she doesn't have a lot of, you know, a lot of ultra experience under her belt. So, I mean, it's just amazing what you, what you did with such little, you know, ultra running background. And then you had one could say probably the most best, fantastic, wonderful result. Yeah. I, it's like one of those days that basically everything clicked into place. I definitely had some moments that went off the rails a little bit, but um, yeah, it was, it was good. Most of my, my first hundred mile attempt was not great, but honestly, I feel like for the most part, most of my really long distances have been good. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm fast, but I'm consistent right. and I can just go a long time. And so that's perfect for those, those long distances. Now, so, are, do more. <laughs> so you, you live in Utah now, but uh, there's a, a hint of a Southern accent here. <laughs> I am from Alabama, oh. <laughs> so that's where I grew up. Yeah, I it's grew gonna up be there. one of those interviews, huh? So, <laughs> so you can't. Okay, so right now, so we don't want to hear no roll tide on this interview here. Okay. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> what happens if I do? Because <laughs> because I'm from South Georgia, so you know this is dog country here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm uh, just messing with you. <laughs> I'm not a big football fan, but it's hard not to pull for Georgia when you know you live in Georgia. No, and the SEC is so intense. And yes. so I I do kind of miss a little bit of that. I'm not gonna lie. It's not yeah. it's not the same here for sure. Where, where where are you from in Alabama? Northern Alabama, like kind of Huntsville-ish area. I don't know, like if you're familiar. Um, a little bit. Yeah, like closer to the Tennessee border for sure. So right. pretty far north. Right. Okay. So you've you've your background in ultra running, you started doing and you've done several fifty milers, several fifty Ks, and you've done a couple of hundred milers. Is that right? Yeah. Around that. 
I've done 300 milers. I did Ute 100 last August. That was my first one. Um, and then I did Canyons this year and UTMB this year. And oh, so wow. I've done some fun ones. I haven't yeah. done many. I've done some fun ones for sure. You've done some good ones for sure. Absolutely. So the reason why I brought you on and I wanted to interview you for everybody that's listening L ran the Moab 240, which is 240 miles, 31,000 31, feet of climbing. She was 15th overall and third place female. And this race has 116 hour cutoff and you finished just over 88 and a half hours. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. You, you And because, you know, looking at, your background in running an ultra you've you've done three 100 milers and i think didn't you say that you had volunteered at this race like the year before yeah so i volunteered at the island aid station so probably most people aren't familiar with the names of the aid station so that's at mile like 82 83 something like that so pretty far into the race and this race has been on my radar for a long time. I knew that I wanted to run it someday. It was just, I'm definitely one of those people. It's like, ah, uh, when it feels right, that's when I know that I'll do it. Um, but yeah, when I was volunteering last year, that's when I decided I was like, okay, yeah, it's, it's time. It's time for me to do it. Okay. So, and so yeah. it's, it's a lottery race, but you volunteered. Do they let you get in if you volunteer? Or, mm -mm. So, I mean, I, I maybe they have something for that. I don't know. Right. If they do, I, I wasn't aware. I didn't see anything on the site. So I don't want to say that for sure, but I didn't see that it helps, but maybe it does. Um, so you found out from the lottery probably towards the end of January that you were going to be able to do the race. Yes. So you had a little less than a well, you had less than a year to train for this and like, where did you start? Um, that is a great question because did you like kind of have a small little freak out when you were accepted into it. Um, <laughs> sure. I did. I like burst into tears cause I was obviously very excited, but then like overwhelmed. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I would get overwhelmed with it frequently, and I didn't really know exactly how to train for something like this. I don't know that anyone really does. Um, my mode of conduct was just kind of like high volume, like I just upped my volume, my weekly um, miles, and that was in just like turnover. So basically... I mean, depending on what race you're kind of training for, I knew that this was going to be very runnable and that I was going to have to run on tired legs. And so basically I just tried to mimic that. And that was what I did the entire summer is I would just run six days a week, six to seven days a week um, and just lots of turnover. And that was basically what I did the entire year. So so what were you, what were you averaging like every week as far as like mileage or hours goes? Yeah. So I kind of based it more on time on my feet, um, right. versus 
mileage because obviously sometimes that varies if you're doing yeah. more and things like that um so I if, I mean I honestly I'm busy like I work I I'm a single mom I have a nine-year-old and he has all of his stuff so I probably don't actually have a ton of like super high mileage weeks. Like my highest mileage week was, I think like 110 ish miles. It's a lot. It's a lot, but I probably only had like two of those. Like most of my weeks, I would say were in the 60 to 70 mile range. I'm just guessing I haven't actually looked. And then I definitely had some that, you know, were like 80, 90 mile ish weeks. Um, peak training but I mean 60 to 70 miles a week is a lot um but for ultra runners I don't know that it's like super impressive like that's probably the average um so yeah like that was kind of my my averages I for for the most part like 60 70 mile weeks but I do cross train a lot I lift multiple days a week I bike once a week um, so I, I try to keep it varied because I think that that is important for injury, but also just, I think with ultras, you're just stronger. Like you are carrying a pack that's semi-heavy and things like that. It is important to actually have muscles in other places. Right. Absolutely. I think the weight training probably helped a lot as, as far as your body holding up and the fatigue that sets into your legs for sure. Um, so being, you know, you said single mother and, and I imagine your job is probably full time as well. Like where are you finding time to, to do these runs? Are you just getting up super early in the morning? And get up super early in the morning. So I get up like four, four 30, I'll go around a couple of hours, come home and then go into mom mode, go into work mode. Um, and I mean, that's basically my life. That's like, it's. <laughs> I don't have much of a social life. It's just mostly like work, mom, training. And yeah, I, uh, most of my friends are ultra runners. So my social life is running with them, honestly. There, there you go. The, the, the social world is overrated anyway, right? It is overrated. <laughs> and I have a great out on trails. So what more can you ask for? Like, I, I, I love it, honestly. So were you self-training yourself for this race or did you have a coach? I kind of had a combo. I started with a coach and then I kind of went rogue over the summer and just kind of did my own thing. Um, just because I, summers are crazy. Like they're just busy, like mm. kids out of school. I have him a lot. And so plus working and everything else. So it was basically just trying to fit in as much as I could when I could. So that was, I, I started off with good intentions of being very dialed in that sense. And then just kind of decided that it was just going to be a time on my feet kind of thing. That's all I had time for. Right. So, you know, upping up your volume through, you know, the, this year leading up to the race, did you ever come across like any nagging pains that you had to deal with? I think I read somewhere like you'd hurt your ankle or something. Good. Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as injuries, just from training, no, I, I'm super good about that stuff. Like I'm really good with recovery. Um, and I'm really good with diet and all, like I'm pretty disciplined in those areas. And so I don't have 
a lot of issues with my body in that sense. But I ran UTMB six weeks before Moab. And that race is super techy, super steep ups and downs, which I had not trained for at all um, because I had been training for that turnover for Moab. So when I went to UTMB, it was mostly, I wasn't planning on it, but I qualified at Canyons earlier in the year, which I wasn't expecting. And so it was kind of one of these last minute decisions of like, okay, people wait forever to get into this race. I can't not go. And they gave me an entry for this year and next year. So I was like, okay, I have to go. Yeah. So I was super pumped. Um, cause it, like I had two, I, when I started trail running, I put two races on my, on my bucket list and Moab and UTMB were both of them. And so the fact that I somehow got to do them both in the same year is mind blowing. And so I was like, okay, I'll go this year and I'll just run the course and kind of see what I need to do better for next year for training specifically for that race. So I did something to my ankle around mile 40-ish, and I don't really even remember what, like, I don't remember anything happening, but I obviously did something because my ankle started to swell, and I was Mm. like, oh, this isn't great, and then it just kind of progressively got worse, but then also I met my, one of my dream races, so I'm like, I can't pull out of this, I have to do it, and so I finished, so I ran like 70 miles on a swollen ankle, so that was probably not great um as far as like for Moab but it felt like at the time I was like I didn't take any pain meds or anything until the last like 20 miles I started taking Tylenol because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't something that I really needed to like actually pull out of the race for right um because I didn't want to be stupid but if if I felt I felt like it wasn't something that was going to be super damaging Um, But I came home from that and had five weeks, basically, from that point when I got home from France to rehab. So I took two weeks off completely from running because, I mean, I could barely walk on it. Like, it was not great. Yikes. Um, So I went, I started going to PT, like, right away, and they were so good. They did tons of red light therapy, and um, so they kind of got me back into a spot. I started running, but it was like super light, like not a lot of mileage. And so my last training block was not super dialed because it was like that balance of like trying to maintain good turnover, but then also not make the ankle worse. Um, Did you cross train a lot through that time? I did. I biked a ton. So I basically biked a ton. I would do weights more so towards the end because I couldn't really put a lot of pressure on that ankle for a while. Um, but yeah, a lot of biking. I was just biking a couple of hours a day um, just to kind of keep the cardio up and the turnover on the legs. And so it worked. Um, I didn't have any issues with it during the race, which I was super thankful for. But it was a kind of a gamble. Like even when I started, I was kind of like, okay, because I still had like a knot in my ankle, like from inflammation that was still there. Like it didn't hurt and didn't hurt to run on it. But there was definitely 
it wasn't a hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as other injuries go, no, but that wasn't great going into it. It didn't end up being an issue, but. So, yeah. but you're saying you went and did a 240 mile race and your ankle wasn't a hundred percent. not try like i just kept telling myself i was like if it acts up i guess i'll, I'll pull but... right yeah 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 but i mean yeah, like... it it just it just you know tells to the truth of how amazing this feat was that you did yeah. you know what i mean you, you're you go into this race it's the first time in your life that you've ever gone this distance mm -hmm. you have an ankle that's you know not a hundred percent and you knock it out of the park, which is, is just, yeah. just amazing. <laughs> it's so, crazy too. <laughs> so, well, well, I had a question on here about, did you taper before the race? But I mean, if you were dealing with this ankle injury, I imagine you probably didn't, you were probably trying to get a pretty good bit of volume. I was trying, it's like, yes and no. It's like, I was trying to taper, but also, yeah, like I was honestly trying to test it too and right. so i would have to go back and actually look and see what i logged but probably higher volume than what i would have had i been able to run those previous weeks um but yeah i i don't know like it was it was definitely those last few weeks right before there wasn't a ton of like structured training it was mainly just kind of like eh easy runs like everything was an easy run like I wasn't doing speed work I wasn't doing hill repeats I wasn't doing really anything other than just trying to like get some turnover and stay very um like not pushing it super hard right so paint the picture of you know how this race starts does <laughs> do you go the day before and pick up your packet and it starts it looked like it started what at night or early in the morning yeah, it started at noon. So normally this race starts at 6 a.m. They shifted it this year for the first time to where it started at noon. Um, and that's always kind of a weird thing. Like it's mm. it's okay, but most ultra runs you start in super early in the morning. So like four or five a.m., you know. Well, that was kind of weird. But yeah, so I actually go down the day before pick up my packet, do all of that kind of stuff the night before. Um, and yeah, then we start at noon. So it's kind of warm. I, 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 yeah. I don't even, like, I still don't even. Maybe it was I, one of those I, things I, where they were giving everybody a plenty of time to sleep in and not making everybody get up at four o'clock or 3 AM for that 6 AM start. You know what I mean? I think that that's exactly what it is because it's kind of your last night of sleep before you're just up for days, basically. I, I but me personally, I think like either a 9 AM or a 10 AM start would be like better because like 12 AM that's like, all right, I'm starting to get hungry again. And you know, you've had time to be awake and just dorm yeah. around. So I think yeah. a, they're a, like, more like a brunch start would be better than like a lunch start no i think so too i think like 10 would be perfect like enough time to sleep in have breakfast and then go right at it <laughs> yeah, absolutely absolutely okay so the the race starts and i'm sure you've already got an idea in your head but what was like your pace strategy 
your fuel strategy, your gear strategy, and your sleep strategy for this race? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just kind of dive into just like the overall because mm. it, and it was all like kind of just the strategy of like, I don't know also. And so this is brand new territory for everyone involved. Um, so I, my sleep strategy, just because that's the easiest one to tackle first, the sleep strategy was basically if you're tired and you feel like you can fall asleep immediately, that's when you take your nap. Um, because I didn't want to plan that ahead of time and then try to sleep and not mm. be able to. I also am the type of person that can fall asleep in like 10 seconds. And so nice. that's definitely an advantage for me. I never had an issue falling asleep. <laughs> um, I think I saw one picture where you were literally like on the side of the road in some grass and you had like a windbreaker pulled over you and you were asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I took a total, I, I think I slept in a crew car twice two or three times and then I took two or three trail naps I'd have to go back and look at I actually have a log or, um but yeah it was there was one specifically too where I it, there wasn't really any space off the trail so it's just like I'm sleeping at a really awful angle but that's how tired I was like at that point it was you know it is what it is um so, so the trail maps are pretty short those were like 10 to 15 minutes right yeah yeah that was my next question and so the race itself had like four sleep stations i guess mm -hmm. programmed into the race already did you sleep at all four of those and if you did like how much did you sleep yeah. um i slept i didn't use any of the sleep stations per se like um, cause I had crew and they had set up like a little bed for me in the back of one of the cars. So I did sleep, I think at three of those and that ranged anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, depending on which one it was. Um, and so, yeah, like it, not super, super long. I think one of them was 30 actually. And then I think the other one was 45 and then the other, the last one, I slept an hour because that was, that was after that second night. And I, yeah, I came out of the, I felt like I was coming out of war. That sounds so yeah. dramatic, but like, <laughs> I imagine that well, second night was really hard, harder than the third night for whatever reason, maybe because I was almost done and I was just like, I just got to get out of here. Mm. Third night, I didn't take any naps. But the second night was definitely rough. I bet. What was the longest stretch you went without sleep or, or how long? I don't even know. I, I'll be honest. I don't know that I would have to go back and look at the times. Do you but, know what the total amount of sleep was for the 88 hours? Um, I would have to go back and look. My guess is between like five like anywhere between five and six hours is my guess mm. um I would have to go back and look at the actual logs that my crew took I, I have all the information basically for me to go back and revamp when I start planning my next 200 but right. I haven't had time to look at it quite yet right. but yeah I'm thinking between five and six probably total right. 
with like little 15 minutes here, 45 minutes there, that kind of stuff. So, so how are you planning on pacing this race? Yeah, for me, I kind of like, I projected paces mostly for my crew, just so they kind of knew where I would be when, um, but I, I based it off of just how I felt like effort wise, Mm. um, and heart rate to a degree, but I kind of, I've run enough to know if I'm on flat roughly about how fast I'm going to go, that's sustainable. If it's this grade, roughly what I can do that's sustainable. Um, so, and I was pretty on target for that, for the most part, like I was, I finished and I, I think part of my miscalculation was that the course was longer this year and they had added more bird. And so I was about two and a half to three hours off of my calculations as far as um, like total time, but it's because the course was actually longer. And so I, I wasn't actually like calculating all of that in. So I was pretty, even when I made the calculations, I was like, this doesn't seem right because this seems fast. But I was like, went back and looked at everything that I projected. And I'm like, well, that also seems doable as long as I'm not hurt or something. So yeah, it all seemed like it worked out. But yeah, I definitely had kind of decided how long I wanted each, between each aid station, how long that should take me. And I was paying attention to see if I was hitting that roughly pretty accurate. So, so. this is amazing to me that you're saying you, you had all these calculations in place and you said you come up a few hours short of what your calculations was. And here I am thinking this is the first time you've ever done a race that went over probably 105 miles and you had a distant a time calculation in your head about i want to finish this race in this amount of time but this is the first time i've ever gone 240 miles too just so everybody knows <laughs> that's just amazing because me i would i think feel like me personally i probably would have been pacing to finish this in 115 hours <laughs> if it was my first try you know and I think that most, yeah, and I think that that's probably, that's probably normal. Most people are probably like, oh, like, I'll just finish when I finish. But for me, I was just like, I think I had made this my A race for the whole year. So I really right. wanted to, like, see what I could do. Like, I wanted to go out and, like, I wasn't even really thinking I was going to place in that sense. Like, of course, I wanted to. Like, that would be awesome. Um but it was mostly just like I wanted to do it as well and as fast as I could just to see, like just out of curiosity's sake, knowing that I generally hold up pretty consistently through longer distances. It was just like, okay, let's just see like if that's true for 200 miles the same way it is for 100. Like, why not try? You know, you had this goal for your calculations you wanted to finish in this time was there any part during the race and i'm and i'm sure there was where you weren't pacing as planned and what was like say your b goal that you were leaning into at that point 
Um, you're probably not gonna like my answer. I <laughs> I was always on pace or ahead. I did have a moment where some things happened with my nutrition getting off and um I kind of had to regroup. I had some <laughs> some issues with some of that and that got in my head in the sense that I felt like I was doing so well that I wasn't feeling as well right well that I wasn't going to be able to maintain as well as I was doing at that point but I was still technically ahead of what I had projected so I wasn't worried about not meeting my a goal but I think that I had to like get out of my head of like you were also way ahead of schedule and you were maintaining and it's okay that you're having some moments that are off with your nutrition. Um, <clears throat> and so I think that I let it go pretty quickly, but it was frustrating um, when you're super dialed because at that point in the race, I was lead female for quite a while mm. and that's when I kind of started having issues my body felt really good it was just other stuff was lacking and so that's one thing that kind of got in my head because that's when I lost that placement which wasn't a huge deal in the sense that I never thought that I was going to come in first female anyway. So the fact that I even had it for a while was just like, oh, that's crazy. Like that was a crazy feeling to even hold that placement for a while. How long did you hold first place? Um, I had it for a minute, which I, and this was another wild thing because I actually don't like knowing my placement when I'm out. So my pacers and my crew, they don't tell me and if people out on the course try to tell me I always just tell them not to because it kind of gets in my head um because ultimately I've projected what I think is possible I'm just trying to run my best race and if it's really good that's great and if not then that's also okay um so it was it was interesting because I actually didn't know my placement until I took first female and so I was second for quite a while I think and didn't know and so that was like mile 75 I passed the um first female and I didn't even know who it was because she was off the trail I think she was going to the bathroom so her pacer was kind of close and then my pacer told me at that point. And so, but I knew I wasn't going to have it for very long because the next aid station, I was already planning on taking a nap at that one. So I knew that she would pass me and she did. Um, and then I passed her at mile 111. And then I, ha I held it until I think it was like mile one. 40, 150. So I held it for a while, which, yeah. And then from there, like, it just kind of took me some time to like recover from 
being like, I kind of got dehydrated. I wasn't able to hold things. I don't know. So there was, there were some issues with the nutrition. So just trying to like get back into that mode and be able to run as well as I was running before it took a minute. Um, but yeah, even the fact that I had it for a while was like, oh, that's crazy. Like didn't expect that. Um, so that, yeah, that whole part was kind of wild to begin with. So I was, I never really had a moment where I didn't think that I was going to at least meet my A goal, I guess, if that makes sense. Right. So when did you know that, you know, you had third place locked in or did you not know until the finish line? Um, that's a great question. So I did not know my placement after, after I got passed, I didn't know my placement again until the last 17 miles. Oh, wow. So basically, even when I would come in and see my crew, like, I didn't want to talk about it. Like I, I, I kind of like in, in my head, semi thought that I was somewhere in that neighborhood of being like top five, but I didn't know where I was in that top five. I just kind of assumed that I was somewhere around that because especially during the night, it's hard because you don't know if someone's off sleeping. You don't really right. also not really with it in the sense that like, you're kind of zoned out too. And so for me, I wasn't paying super close attention <clears throat> at that point. I was like working through my own stuff and just trying to like keep going. Um, so yeah, the last 17 miles, my pacer did bring it up to me just because she knew at that point, like I did want to finish on the podium if it was possible. Right. And so she brought it up to me. So I should... I should insert here that I started coughing up blood at like mile, like one, between 160 and 170. It was at the Pole Canyon aid station. So I'm not, I feel like that's around mile 170, but I'm not a thousand percent on that. That had so, to freak you out a little bit, right? It totally did because I've never hit that. Like I've <laughs> never had that issue. And so it's hard to breathe. And when I am breathing really deep, I'm like coughing like crazy. And then that's just, and then every time I'm coughing, I'm coughing up blood. So it's one of those things that's like, eh, so how normal is this? Is it am like, I about to die? Should I keep going? <laughs> Should I stop? Should I tell someone? Yeah. Do I well, need, even am am I longer like, now? <laughs> don't tell anyone at the aid station because what if they try to pull me uh, but like it is one of those things that because this is new territory for me I'm like I don't know if this is concerning but you know like I guess I'll just keep going um so it got to the point the last like 40 miles especially but the last 50 but especially the last 40 that I could really my body was fine like my legs had good turnover and I could, I wish I could have run faster, but my lungs wouldn't let me like I could bear, I, my breathing was very shallow because I couldn't breathe in deep. So then it was like this balance of like trying to not get my heart rate up so high that I was breathing deeper, but then like maintaining a good pace. And so that's kind of where I was the last 40 to 50 miles. And just like progressively worse, the closer I got in. So the last 17, my pacer asked me, she was like, okay, I'm just going to like propose this to you and you can 
And she's also like my best friend. She paces me at the end of all of my races. She's amazing. So she asked me, she was like, okay, this is where you're at. You are third female, which I was really happy to hear because I actually didn't know at that point. So then of course I'm like, oh, okay, like 17 miles left, third. Let's go. That's what you're like, let's go. (laughs) I know because I was just like, and of course a piece of me is just like, okay, like that's amazing. But also 17 miles is still a lot. And she's like, so the girl ahead of you is three miles ahead of you at this point. Mm. The girl behind you is three and a half miles behind you. Ooh, pretty close. Pretty close. We were all very close. Like the first female finished, I think, two hours ahead of me. And then, so like we were all within a few hours. And so she basically asked me, she's like, look, like, do you want to try to push and see if you can catch second? Or do you want to just try to put as much distance between you and fourth? Do you want to lay down on the slick rock and just like stare at the stars? Like, what do you want to do right now? And at that point, my response, just because I knew my breathing was not going to allow me to hammer, like, Mm. I mean, I was running and I was consistent and I was good, but like, really, I wish that I could have just, I don't know, like my legs felt good. Like, I wish I could have capitalized on that. Um, basically my response was I don't think that my lungs are going to allow me to do that but let's make sure that I stay at least in third and so that kind of became the balance of just trying to like run as consistently as possible to maintain that and then I think I could wrap my brain around it at that point too because I think for me at least I don't like knowing my placement because then I'm thinking about it for Mm. miles miles but 17 miles especially when you're doing that distance it's like okay well there's only 17 left like I can wrap my brain around maintaining this pace for 17 miles and so yeah that kind of became the goal at that point was just to maintain to the end absolutely I mean I think your your pacer totally did the right thing she's like I know you're coughing up blood right now, but you're in third place. There's only 17 miles to go. Let's shut this shit down. Okay. Yeah. Oh, she Let's was go. I, I think she was hoping that I was going to like, be like, yeah, let's go faster. Let's, let's mm. knock this thing out. And I wish that I could have <laughs> mm. just cause it's fun. Like it's, it's fun at the end of a race to like see what's left in the tank and just go as fast mm-hmm. as you can. Sure. Right. So, um, you said you had some problems like with your nutrition, but so what was your nutrition strategy? Cause you know, 88 hours, that's a lot of food. Yeah. Which I mean, of course that is another piece that was new to me because what do you eat for that long and what's going to digest and what are you still going to want? Um, for me, I use a liquid calorie as my base so I drink like a bottle of infinite an hour and they kind of like custom make it to what you need so my my dosage of that is like 266 calories so that is my base I drink one of those per hour so that was kind of my main source um 
just because it's easy, like you're getting your liquid and you're getting actual calories. Um, mm. But then also you like, you have to eat in addition to that. So basically, and I am also fortunate in this sense where my stomach's not that sensitive. I feel like I can generally eat things. And I know a lot of people have issues with like getting nauseated or throwing up and things like that. I don't generally have issues. Mm. And I think the only reason I had issues this time is because um, I... I got behind, I, there was a miscalculation of distance and I didn't have enough fuel in my pack basically. So I ran out of water and I ran out of nutrition. And so the last couple of hours of that leg, I didn't really have anything. Mm. And so, <clears throat> which is fine. Like you can make it through, but then it kind of puts you at a deficit and that's hard to catch up. Um, so when I came into that aid station, it was basically just trying to like get liquid and get cal like trying to catch up and then also not do it so quickly where I was going to get sick. Um, cause you're pretty, I was pretty far into the race at that point. And so that's kind of, that was my base strategy was the, my liquid nutrition. And then when I would go into aid stations, I would try to just eat as much as I felt like I could. Hmm. And that was that was basically it. I would eat food at the aid stations, do my infinite while I was out, not really eat. Every once in a while I may take a bite of something, but for the most part, I didn't eat when I was out on the trail. It was just, I would eat at the aid stations and then drink my stuff. When I, was out. I read that some of the aid stations actually had hot meals at it. Yeah. Yeah. So they had like, I mean, it's like always an assortment, but they always have like soup and noodles and they'll have like hash browns and hamburgers and veggie burgers. Mm. And um, so, yeah, my kind of my go to was every aid station, I would get two veggie burgers and I would do like guac on one hummus on another, like no buns, um, but just like the veggie burger, those and I would eat a couple of those. So like random stuff that was kind of my go-to I had hash browns a couple times it's just kind of whatever mm. you felt like you could get down um right. but I think towards the end that's when it gets hard because that's when you've been eating at least for me I get so sick of just eating because you're just constantly eating for hours and hours and hours and even though my stomach's fine I just get tired of it it's I don't know. Like that sounds dumb, but you're just like constantly drinking calories and then trying to like stuff as much food in as possible in order to maintain, which is good because then you have the energy, but I don't know. Whenever I finish an ultra, I won't eat for like 10 hours. Cause I'm just mm. like, so sick of food at that point. Right. So what was your gear strategy? Did you use the same gear the same way through the race? Did you change shoes? Um, you, yeah, did you run with a pack or did you run with bottles or, or I mean, a vest? Yeah. So I, yeah, I had my vest. They have required gear. So the bags actually, I mean, I should, I should have weighed it because it was pretty heavy because they require you to have like pants, a jacket, another long sleeve, a headlamp. Like they require a ton of gear just mm. in general. And then you have to take your own gear in addition to that. And then 
Um, so I use the same pack the whole time. I kind of, I, yeah, like I, I always had my poles for climbing. The shoe thing is interesting because I ended up getting blisters on every single toe that started, that started at like mile 16. And this is not, <laughs> it's not normal for me. And so for it to start that early was just like, well, this doesn't seem like this is going to be great. Mm. And so it was just like a progression, like every aid station I was having to stop and the medics were having to like tape more of my toes. And like, so they're like lancing your blisters and draining. It was like the grossest thing on the planet, but like. I had to been miserable. Oh, it was terrible because then it's also painful to run on it every step yeah. every step and so then <clears throat> I was stopping at most aid stations and having them work on my feet because this is another thing that I was thinking had I not had all of those issues with my feet that would have saved me so much time just at the aid stations oh, yeah. having to like, take off my shoes and they would have to clean my feet and then they're like doing all of this medical care on them and then I had to pull over a couple times on the trail where it was just so painful and I just have amazing pacers that would just take care of my feet for me and it's ugh, so disgusting but they're great and so that was kind of a huge issue um and it's not something I normally deal with and I think when I've reflected back on it I got a couple of blisters during UTMB and I think that my feet had just not really recovered in the sense that mm. that skin wasn't healed enough. And so when one got taped, it would, the next toe next to it after so many miles would get a blister because I think the tape was rubbing it. And so it just, it was like this domino effect, basically what mm. took place. It was like, one toe would get taped and then the next toe would have a blister and then that toe would get taped and then the next toe. And so it's just like, all day and then by you know 24 hours in every single toe is taped and, and then the blisters are just filling up so then you're just constantly doing maintenance on it so it was kind of a nightmare and I only had I one imagine that was like um <clears throat> a bigger size so that's something I would do different the next time is I would have a couple pairs of shoes that were a full size bigger than normal because your feet kind of end up swelling. And mm -hmm. so then I was in the same pair of shoes because I only had one shoe that was a half size bigger. So I ended up putting that pair on and just wore those the rest of the time. And so, yeah. Have, have you ever tried those, uh, those in gingy toe socks? No, but I think I'm going to now because I think that those would be great for something like this. I love them. They, they work really good. And I mean, and I'm, I can't, I can't speak for what you're doing because the longest thing I've ever done is a 50 miler, but I mean, it's, I love, I love wearing toe socks. They're great. Even when they get wet. So I love okay. them. Well, that's something I'm going to put in the test rotation, I think. Cause I used to be bad about getting the blisters in between my toes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Did I, did I see you were running in the uh, Solomon speed cross? Is that what you were running in? Yes. Yeah. And normally I don't have issues now. Normally I won't do more than like 50 ish miles in the speed cross because those are a little bit more narrow. So mm -hmm. I usually like to do the ultra glides or something like that for the longer distances. 
Um, and so, yeah, but I love that shoe, but I don't normally do more than 50 miles in that shoe either. So there were so many factors that were different with the shoes that I can't really pinpoint what, what went wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, normally that's kind of my go-to shoe for anything under 50. So, I mean, you kind of touched on this already, but during the race, were there any, like, like what were the high points and what were like the low points, you know, as far as like, you know, the mental aspect of it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question because it's interesting. It's 240 miles and you're out there for a few days. Yeah. It's hard to like, yeah like try to like consolidate it into these moments um for me and i wonder if this will be consistent for future races the first day like it was not i don't want to say it was easy but it was like oh yeah like mentally i was like super dialed very there the second night for me was really hard like mentally it was really hard and i think part of it was because one, you're going through your second night and I'm just sitting there thinking, I have to do another night still. Like this isn't even my last night out here. Like I've got another one. And so that also kind of gets in your head. Just you're already tired. And I can't even like imagine that I'm going to have to also run again all day the next day and then still do another night. And so definitely for me, mentally that second night was the hardest um like I I feel like that whole night is a blur (laughs) I'm not like I don't even time on that night I can't even really place like where I was mileage wise at what time it the whole thing's a blur I just remember thinking that it was never going to end I was like this night is never going to be over um how did you pull yourself out of these low points? Like, was there ever like a time where you're like, you know what? I don't think I can do this. I, I I may quit. And like, how did you change? How did you get out of that mindset? I never, I'm yet to have a moment in any race where I feel like I want to quit or that I am going to quit. And I think part of that is because I've never been like super sick or anything like that. Cause even if you're tired, like you can just pull over and sleep. Um, so I've never really hit that point. I have hit like mental points of I'm not necessarily enjoying this right now. Mm. And for me, how I pull out of it is just change of attitude in the sense that if I'm that way, I either need to engage with my pacer in a joking, like just joking around, just goofing off. Like I love to kid around. Mm-hmm. Um, so Me I too. was like the only <laughs> way to go through life. <laughs> life is too serious. And right. So I no. either shift into goofing off or I'll just kind of zone into music. Cause I definitely have moments where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to listen to music. I don't really want anyone to talk to me. Right. I'm just going to listen to music. And I am known for listening to Taylor Swift for like 
hours and hours and hours. I've definitely gone like 24 hours straight of just listening, but it's like, just that would have made me quit the race right there. I was like, I was like, I think most people, <laughs> I, that sounds like torture. And I'm like, for me, it's not, it just like puts me in a good mood. Like yeah. for me, I'm just like, okay, like, I'm just going to like listen to some happy music and I can like pull out of it. And so for me, it's either like goofing off or music, like one or the other. Um, so, I don't generally spiral that much in those situations, though. Well, I'd say that you are perfect for this race. I mean, because you, you you just made a statement a couple of minutes ago, said you never really get super sick. And I was just thinking she was coughing up blood. What is her <laughs> idea? Super sick. <laughs> like not being able to see and having to crawl. <laughs> I mean, not wrong. I, I do think about that sometimes. I'm like, I don't know. Cause I say that, but then I'm like, Oh, I mean, I wasn't feeling great, but for some reason in the moment, I'm like, well, it could be worse. I think in my mind, I'm always like, well, it, it could be worse. I'm coughing up blood and I can barely breathe, but it could be it worse. Could be worse. <laughs> yeah. My eyes and ears could be bleeding too. <laughs> Even at UTMB when my ankle's swollen and I'm like running and every step is painful, I'm like, well, it could be worse. I mean, both both legs could be like having issues. At least that's not the case. I don't know. Like maybe that's just a me thing because I can usually like position it in my brain where it's like, oh, well, this is just one thing that's off. Like that's not bad. I can deal with one thing. Hmm. Nice. So what was like the high points of the race? Um, the high points. The I finish. Mean, <laughs> the finish, obviously, like, honestly, my favorite things about the race in particular, like, obviously, the scenery is beautiful and all of that, like Moab, for anyone who's been there, Moab's beautiful. Um, the course itself is amazing. The high points for me were just it was kind of mind-boggling like just how and maybe it's because when you're out there for so long you're sleep deprived you're super raw at that point but everyone's just so nice like I would come mm. into stations and all of the volunteers and medics like I just love those little interactions with people where everyone's there for the same reason they're there to like help and have a good time and you're also there to just kind of like feed off of that energy and then get in and out and that just I think the people in general and then my crew and my pacers like seeing them I was always so excited to see them and it would always give me so much energy where I would like know I was coming into an aid station I was going to get to see them and so I come in and I'm like laughing and giggling and jumping up and down just because I'm just like oh my gosh like I'm so thankful that I'm here like um hmm. it's just fun to be outdoors with people and be doing something hard and people are just more authentic and raw I don't really even know how to explain it but people are just so different in those situations than they are in real life I think myself included and so you just see this like really genuine loving side of everyone and you get to connect with people while being in a beautiful place. Uh, I don't know. Like for me though, that's the highlight of these races. Like I love going out and seeing the scenery and pushing 
and seeing what I can do. But I love that other aspect of them. Like it's incredible. I can only imagine, you know, you've been running through the night. I can only imagine like it was probably like a saving grace every morning when that sun would come up and, and it would probably give you just an extra push, feeling the warmth of the sun again and just seeing how beautiful the sunrise was to, you know, to push on throughout, you know, that day into the next night. I imagine that would be pretty awesome. A thousand percent. The, the hardest moments for me, like energy wise, tired wise is like kind of right before the sun comes up those few hours before the sun comes up. Cause you feel like you've been in darkness forever. Mm. And also like late afternoon. And I don't know why that is for me in particular. It's like those hours between like three and six o'clock where it's like, it's hot, but also I think in your normal life, you're getting ready to like wind down and relax. You're like getting off work. And so my body's just kind of like, can we be, can we be done now? Like you're just, I don't know. You're just kind of tired. Um, yeah, well, cause it's after lunch, you know, that's like the kid, <laughs> the, the kindergarten kid nap time, you know, is after lunch. So after lunch, you know, it's burnt in our brain as the kids, like it's nap time. Yeah. Those points of every day when I was out there, those were my hardest hours as far as like just energy tired wise, because then once I would get past like six, seven o'clock, it starts cooling off. And like, I actually like running at night. I love it. And so I would love that section of it until about like 3 a.m., 3.30, 4 a.m. And it's like, okay, I'm just ready for the sun to come up now. Like I've been running all night. I'm ready. And then, yeah, you're right. Like when the sun starts to rise, it just kind of, one, you get warmer which is amazing because you're freezing, but two, it just like, oh, okay. Like gives you so much energy. You're just so happy to like see life again. So, so besides the coughing up blood, was there like any, like, you know, kind of like nagging pains that would come besides the blistering feet too, as well. But like, was there any problems where your knees were getting tight or, you know, like your hip flexors, did you have to battle through any of that? And would it like come and go, or did it stay with you for a long period of time? Yeah. So as far as the physical stuff goes, yeah, it was mainly just the respiratory system. Um, my feet and then my left knee definitely started having issues. Um, and I don't even really remember exactly when it started, but like over a hundred miles in, like a little over a hundred miles in, it started kind of like mainly on the downs. Like when I would be running down, it would start hurting. And then the only nagging thing that I had towards the end and I don't even, my PT told me the name of the muscle. And of course I have forgotten what it is, but it's like on my left leg, kind of like the exterior, not like, so at UTMB, it was like the front part of my ankle. It was like almost like the side part of mm. my leg that kind of connected all the way down to my foot. And I've actually been getting PT on that since I've been home. And it seemed like it's good now. Um, like it didn't last very long, but for the first few days when I was walking, it was like, mm, that's painful. That was definitely hurting probably the last like 50 miles. Mm. Um, not terrible, 
but I could feel it like it was definitely a pain point and then the left knee but other than that everything was good I feel like that that wasn't that bad I feel like I mean I don't know what everyone's normal experience is but I feel like most people come out with something that's nagging I feel like you can't run 240 miles and not have something flare up with your feet or the legs or something I feel like that too (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I, don't, I haven't done research. I can't tell you for sure. <laughs> right. And, like, but, I, I feel like if you, if you go into a race that's over a hundred miles, you better expect something that's going to hurt. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I fully expected something to happen. And so those were kind of the two things in that department, but it wasn't that bad. I think, especially after my last race where I was running 70 miles on, like literally a swollen ankle that was hurting. It was like, "Mm, the knee kind of hurts, but it's not as bad as a swollen ankle. So I'll take it. (laughs) That happened to me earlier this year. I was running a 50 K and, you know, you know, this is an OCR podcast, but I, you know, I interview people in the ultra space too. And, you know, at some adventure racing as well, but I was doing an OCR race and uh, most of the OCR races, especially Spartan brand, like we will run on bushwhack trails where it's not, it's very technical, tall grass, weeds, briars, like you don't know where you're stepping, you know? And, uh, it was mile nine of a 50 K and like, I mean, we were jumping over a ditch and I jumped over this ditch and went right into an ankle roll is worst ankle roll I've ever had. And this happened in May and it's still like not a hundred percent now. Like, and no, I mean, I got up and I was like, Oh, that was pretty bad, but it's happened before, but just never this bad. So I immediately tried to just start running again. And it was like really bad. I had to walk probably a good quarter of a mile before I could kind of just hobble jog on it. And it was one of those things like one minute it would feel okay. And the next minute you might turn it just a little bit and it would hurt like hell. So I didn't quite go 70 miles, but I went another 20. (laughs) I went 23 on it. And the next day, man, I had a cankle going. It was. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Because those are no joke. No. And you're still dealing with it. And that was back in May, you said? Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it, it's still good. And I've run another 50 K and done a bunch of other, you know, races, but I've just been taping the hell out of it before I race. Which so. is, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I haven't ever had anything that's lasted super long after just during. So yeah. that would be a whole concern. Yeah. I'd say it's probably like, 85 percent you know it's it's weird it's like old man stuff at this point where is you know you can go and run 10 miles you won't have no problem with it you get out of bed and your feet feet hit the ground and you're like where'd this pain come from what's going on i was just sleeping (laughs) i shouldn't be hurting this bad at 7 (laughs) a.m right yeah it's just it's just weird stuff like that so um Okay, it, are you planning on doing this same race again next year? Um, probably not Moab, but, but definitely a two hundred miler. I'm not. I feel like I I'm gonna try to make a decision in the next like month which one I wanna try to tag in on. Um, if you want a tough one, they do one over here 
um, at Vogel State Park, and it's called the H9 Fierce Dragon. And it's usually super cold weather when they do that race, and it's it's a tough one, and not a lot of people do it. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it, this up. But, but i'm here to tell you it doesn't have gorgeous views like <laughs> moab or tahoe you know so it's, it's part of what kind of gets you through some of these because you're just like well it's really pretty so that's good right. yeah <laughs> yeah i think the tahoe one would probably be a really cool 200 yeah, i think tahoe that one um, so that one's normally a loop and this last year they had to do an out and back because of the fires. And so mm. kind of waiting to see if they're going to announce if it's still going to be the out and back this year, or if they're going to try to do the, the loop again, because I would definitely want to do that one when it's the loop, but they have like Cocodona, uh, 250, which I have a couple friends that are trying to get me to, right. On board for that one so that one's on my radar at some point um i interviewed a uh, a girl named hannah carta who did that this year she did that one that was her first 200 was doing that one yeah that one seems really techy which i don't know how much i would i don't know i love flowing trails i that's just more enjoyable but also that one seems very challenging and i like a good challenge so yeah, it was, it was a tough race for her, I know. Mm-hmm. So is there anything you want to add to this that I may not have, you know, asked a question that you feel like people probably need to know about this race? <laughs> oh, I don't even know. I mean, yeah, like I said, like when it's that much of a race, there's so many ups and downs, right? And there's something that I could probably talk about for like 15 hours straight mm. but so yeah I mean I don't I don't know that there's anything that I would add I would just I don't know like I don't know exactly like what to say other than I think this stuff is just incredible and I think that you can get into this I, I think if anything like getting into stuff like this at any age or volunteering and stuff like this, getting involved with this type of a community is incredible. And I would encourage anyone to be like involved on some level. Like I even love taking my little nine-year-old and volunteering at races and having him involved on some level because it's incredible just to see humans doing something hard it's incredible to experience it yourself, right? Mm. Whether it's this or anything um, physical, but it's also incredible to like go help and see people do this kind of stuff. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I, I love the human aspect of this kind of mm. stuff. And so I always think that that's like, if people can get involved, that would be, that would be something I would always encourage. It would be a shame for me not to mention this because you talk about, you know, your love for ultra running and how much you enjoy the community aspect of it as well. But there's an obstacle race that I believe that you would 100% love. And it's actually taking place this weekend. Um, 
it's it's called World's Toughest Mudder. Are you familiar with that? I have heard the name, but I do not know anything about it. So World's Toughest Mudder is an obstacle race that goes for 24 hours straight. And it has, it's a five mile loop and it probably has 20 obstacles. But on the first lap, you get a free lap. None of these obstacles are open. It starts at 12 o'clock at lunch and it ends at 12 o'clock the next day, but you still have an extra hour or an extra hour and a half to finish the last lap, I think. And so on the first lap, you get it free and then the obstacles slowly start opening up after that first hour. And it's the community is amazing. The volunteers are like amazing at these obstacles. They have an obstacle out there. It's actually called like coach's corner or something. And it's a guy that plays techno music at an obstacle like all night long like loud there's lights everywhere and like if the weather gets cold these people are out there running in wetsuits you know and because a lot of these obstacles like are like monkey bars that go over like a pit of water so if you fall off the monkey bars you'll fall into the water if you can't do the obstacle at all you still have to go through the water pit and get out the other side and then they'll have all these crazy penalties and and everybody that's doing these obstacles you can help each other too even though it is a competitive race so so last year like this weekend it's in uh it's right outside of dallas in texas and last year because they'll move it and last year it was supposed to be in pensacola florida but that venue had canceled on them and so they moved it to Atmore, Alabama. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You know where Atmore is, yes. Yeah, so it was on some guy's farm there, you know, and and that was my first year doing the 24-hour version of Tough Mudder. They got a bunch of smaller ones, whereas I think, well, next year they're pretty much just doing like a basic 10-mile Tough Mudder for all the other Tough Mudders. And they have a version where it's a 12-hour overnight and then they have an infinity version where you do as many laps of the 10 mile version in one day as well. But so last year was the first year that a female's gotten a hundred miles at world's toughest mutter. And they kind of do this thing like they do in the masters, you know, in the masters for golf, they give you this green coat. Well, at world's toughest mutter, they give you an orange coat, you know, like a dress coat. You know, that's their colors are, 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 are black and orange, but the girl that got a hundred miles last year, like she did the grand slam last year too. Okay. So, Ultra runner. So that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, she's a jack of all trades. She does obstacle course racing. She does the hybrid stuff, the high rocks. So, yeah. I mean, she'll jump into anything that, you know, awesome that she's interested in doing it. But if, if you like that community aspect of like a race, like you would love world's toughest mudder. Cause you've got this, this huge pit area where you can have a crew and they have to pretty much stay in this pit area where it's at the start line. And the start line's like a party, 
you know, all these people are there, the music is blaring and you can go into the pit area. Your, your crew will help, you know, you'll have all your food. You can have a tent there where if you want to take a nap and I, I, I think you'd like it, especially since you've got like a strength background too, you could probably do the obstacles. Yeah. I mean, I always just think it's fun to like, change something up and just see what I don't know like I just like a good challenge across the board like because in my brain worst case scenario is you don't do well and then you can figure out what you did wrong and go back and try again like I'm not a I'm not afraid to like be bad at something right Hannah Carter the girl I was telling you about that done that um what was it what is it Cocodona is that what is it am yeah. I saying it right but she's that's her one of her a goals is she wants to get a hundred miles at it. So she's going there this weekend to try to do that as well. I'm definitely going to track that this weekend. It's pretty cool. I want to say the, if you log on to the OCR report on YouTube, they're going to be kind of doing the best they can as a live feed. So you can kind of see what they'll be doing throughout, you know, the day, but it starts at 12 o'clock on Saturday. Okay. Well, I guess I know what part of my weekend is going to be now. <laughs> yeah. It, like I said, I think you would love it. Yeah. Like I'm sure they'll do like go sign up for like a 10 mile tough mutter and you can kind of see what the obstacles are all about. And the crowd is, I mean, there'll be a huge crowd of all these people and everybody is super cool and super helpful. I think you'd love it. I really do. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to at least go get a taste test. Yeah. yeah, I think you'd love it. Yeah, I think so too. Especially as you, you like to push. I mean, you're competitive. You like a challenge. I think you would love, love that race. Okay, so I have a few more questions and I'll let you go, I promise. So oh, okay. what advice would you give to somebody who is doing their first 100? Cool, first 100. Um, I... I guess two things like if you start coughing blood, just push through it. Push through. I was like, <laughs> oh, no, okay. It takes about 48 hours and then you're fine. And it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> You'll have a raspy voice for about a week. Nice. <laughs> but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I don't I don't give out a lot of advice, but I always just say, like, if you're going into your first hundred, I think the two most important things is just your nutrition and that's like staying ahead of calories and drinking water and electrolytes. I cannot tell you how many races that people DNF because they are not taking in electrolytes. And so I always just say like, if you stay ahead of all of that nutrition stuff, that's like number one. And then I think to let go of expectations. I think that I'm really good at having a goal and pushing really hard for a goal But if it's not going the way that you want, just let it go because chances are once you do, whether that is like finishing or whatever, you're just going to be in a happier, better space to achieve what you want. Like ultimately have your goals go in and try to like knock them out. But if something starts going south, I don't throw in the towel and don't let it get in your head. If you just let it go, you're going to be happier. You're going to perform better. You're going to feel better. And it's going to be a better experience. 
across the board. Like you're going to enjoy your actual experience out there. Mm. And so, but I mean, that's basically all I ever say is like, let go of whatever it is that is bothering you in the moment. Enjoy it. That's going to long-term be better. A thousand percent. Okay. So I'm out of questions, but everybody I bring on the show, I always ask them the same three questions and you've probably already answered this first one, but I'm going to ask it anyway, to this day, what's been your most favorite race and why? That is hard. Um, So I would think you, I I was assuming you were going to say that the Moab 240 was your favorite. It's hard because like I also did UTMB this year and UTMB has been like a bucket list race. Mm. Um, It's kind of between those two, if I'm being honest, like Moab definitely everything that I could have wanted and then some, Um, but there was something so surreal about being at UTMB as well and being at a dream race for me and also I think what was so surreal about because that is also a lottery race but I earned my own ticket into that race by qualifying at a different event and so it was one of those things it was like I'm at my dream race but also I earned my spot here it wasn't like I got drawn in the lottery like I'm here because I performed so it was kind of a surreal moment for me to be there on that capacity as well. Hmm. So I don't know. I like, can I say both? Like that's kind of a tie. Of course you can. <laughs> now it's a tie. Okay. So now I want the reverse of that question. What's been your least favorite race and why? Uh, see, this is an interesting question because I don't, I, I think that I'm definitely more of the type of person that's like, I will just positive my way through everything where it's like, even if it's a really bad race, I'm like, Oh, I learned this. Um, Everybody says that you got to pick one. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) you're like, no, stop, just do it. Um, Probably honestly, my first ultra, it was really hard in the sense that so it was speed go 2020. Um, I had just kind of come off of an injury and I was really in my head and beating myself up. Like my time was really bad. I kind of came out of that experience thinking like, I am really bad at ultras and, (laughs) (laughs) and, and and it's just a hard race. I mean, it's 32 miles, you know, I think it's around, just under 12,000 feet of climbing. And that's that tough. It's a tough race. And, but in my head, even though I knew it was a tough race and struggled, it was like, oh, it's not because it's a tough race. It's because you're really bad at this. Hmm. But like, obviously there's a lot of positives, but I think that that was the most in my head I've ever been in a race and just kind of constantly just not really enjoying it hmm. because I was so in my head about how bad I was. Um, and so it was more of a me thing. Like the race was fine, but it was definitely more of a me thing. Like that's probably the worst mental experience I've had in a race. 
Okay. Well, my last question is what is your race ritual? If your race starts at say 6 a.m. on Saturday, what are you doing on Friday? And what are you doing Saturday morning before the race? Okay. We want to know the secret to getting okay. third place at Moab 240. Uh, this is boring. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty boring. I'm pretty low key the night before. I don't. Do you have like a go-to meal? Do, what supplements do you use? What's I your secrets? Have, I do have a go-to meal. It's, it's pancakes. <laughs> I eat. Like I Cracker eat. Barrel pancakes or IHOP pancakes? Like the most boring pancakes, grain-free pancakes. <laughs> 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 so awful. Um, so I eat like a regular, I usually eat like some fish and veggies, um, and that kind of thing. And then I will like a couple of hours before I go to sleep, I'll make a bunch of grain-free pancakes and I'll eat those. And I do the same thing the next morning. Like that's my go-to meal before. Um, but it's super low key. Like I'm definitely very like dialed the night before where it's just, laying out all of my stuff, going over my spreadsheet, looking at everything. Um, very calm. I don't like a lot of like people around. I'm pretty quiet because I'm generally pretty um, chatty and like high energy and you know, whatever. But I think the night before a race, I kind of like go into this weird space of like, okay, like calm, introverted energy. Mm. So I don't, love a ton of people around I do like to have a couple of hours where I'm just by myself where it's just like quiet and I can right. just like get everything um and then yeah like I have like my little meal and then the next morning it's kind of similar like super low-key until I get to the start line and then it's like okay now we can have all the high energy that we mm. want um but morning of yeah like I don't really, I'm usually like a caffeine drinker. I don't drink any caffeine the morning of because I don't want to like spike and come down. Mm. Um, I mean, if it's like a road marathon, then sure. Cause that's right. not like, it's not something I need to do all day, but yeah. So like the morning of it's, it's really just like, wake up. I do have like my little ritual where I put like glitter on my face and I always do like a little black heart, like on the corner of my eye here and then I always have my son's name on my hand and I'll do little black hearts on that um so I have like those kind of things like I I've started carrying like a little sonic lego that's always in my pocket of my shorts and then that way if I'm having like a hard moment like I'll just like squeeze that lego which is so it sounds dumb but it does like just kind of remind me like okay like I don't know. It just puts me in like a better headspace. Um, See, so now that's, that's the stuff I want to hear. I want to hear yeah. like the stuff that nobody else is doing that, that, that superstitious stuff, you know, or yeah. like, you know, that's, that's the, that's the stuff. Like I like to hear stuff like that. But because it puts you in a different mindset. Like for me, like in my everyday life, I don't really wear like a ton of makeup and things like that, but it's almost like you're putting on a costume. Mm. Like it's, dumb but it's like you're about to go out and play the part of a runner so I'm just gonna be a fun runner and I'm just gonna like act my way into it and pretend that I'm this thing I guess like it sounds really stupid but so I feel like the morning of it's like 
I wear all the same color. So I'll usually choose a color. It's like all white or all black or all yellow or whatever. And then I'll put all of my makeup on and go like big, right? Like lots of eyeliner and eyelash and like all this glitter, all of this stuff, just because it's fun. Like I feel like it's like putting on a costume to go perform and have a good time. And it makes it more playful for me. And then also like the little, like, yeah, the superstitious things. Like I always have Hollis on my hand, always have his name written out. And I think if I were to go into it without that, I would be like, oh shoot, like I can't Mm -hmm. start. We've got to find a Sharpie ASAP, someone, please. Um, But yeah, those kind of things. I'm not super like superstitious in the sense of like, I always have to have this pair of socks or this pair of shoes. But it is more of like, okay, I'm always going to be in the same color. And I'm always like those type of things. Well, I think I'll always do because it's just like my ritual. And then I don't even have to think about it because this is what I'm doing. And it gets me in the mindset of like, okay, this is race morning. This is what we do on race morning. So Right on. Well, L, I'm out of questions. Is there anything that, that you want to add where people can follow you or people that you want to thank that helped you at Moab? I mean my crew and pacers like and they know right like a thousand percent they they know how helpful I am for them um yeah I I don't know I think a big motivation for me is obviously like personal goals but I always tell my son that he's he's my biggest supporter because he lets me go out every morning and train and run and he'll come and bike while I'm running if he needs to in the afternoon like he's super super supportive um which I think is good for him like I think it's good for kids to see their parents doing hard things and also being involved in it and feeling like they're involved um so I think I would add that I don't know like I I think that's a a whole other type of conversation but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like that's probably it. I'm on Instagram, but it's not anything super exciting on there most of the time. It's pretty pretty laid back. Um, I just post about races and my son, honestly. Like that's basically all I do on there. Well, it was interesting to me because you finished a 240 mile race and you were coughing up blood while you were doing it. So <laughs> That's pretty badass. And I think a lot of other people probably think that's pretty badass. Yeah, thank you. Some days I think that and some days I think it's just stupid. <laughs> I kind of go between like, this is really awesome and cool. And then sometimes I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. What am I doing with my life right now? <laughs> to me, the most interesting thing about this story is as, you know, as somebody who may have done this race 10 times, you have a better story of this race because you, you, you crushed it on your first try. And I don't think that most people can say that they had the result that you did on their first try. And that's, what's so amazing about this story. And I think that's what stands out so much. Whereas most people probably when they did their first race over a hundred miles, they probably weren't thinking about a competitive pace. They were probably thinking of 
my goal is to finish this race. And I think that really just shows of how great of a runner that you are and to finish that race in the conditions you did, you know, blistering feet, coughing up blood, you know, your ankles probably still not a hundred percent. You, you unlocked, uh, a new level of confidence. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, so, I mean, the next time you do a hundred miler and you get in that bad place, you know, whether you're blistering or, you know, anything happens, you can reflect back to this race and said, this ain't shit. Cause I've done this. You know what I mean? That's what I'm hoping. And that's how it <laughs> felt. like, that's how it's felt so far. Like every time I push my limits a little bit, when I get back in a spot where I'm doing something else, I'm like, Oh, well, I've done this thing. And so this thing isn't as bad as that last thing. I don't know. I, I think you're right. Like it's a mm. huge confidence builder. If anything, like Moab was, was truly that for me of like, Oh, okay. I did this thing and I didn't do terrible at it. And so I made some mistakes. I want to go back and do another 200 and problem solve those mistakes and see what happens next time. Like, why not? Like, I don't know. I'm excited for it for sure. Right on. Well, Hey, I'm out of questions and I appreciate you taking time to uh, tell us your story. Thanks for having me on. This was a blast. I loved it. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Elle again for taking time to talk to us. If you're racing at World's Toughest Mudder this weekend, go get it. Get all the miles you can get. I wish I was out there with you. My next race is going to be Newberry here in a couple of weeks. Going to go for the Ultra and talk to me Sunday morning. And I'll tell you if I'm going to do the Super and Sprint. <laughs> uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you at next race. Peace. Peace.